So we mentioned today <clears throat> that we're celebrating St. Francis Xavier, and I want to say a few words on him in a moment. But first, this gospel passage, I think, has so much in just a little, little few sentences. Um, the key that always gets me is that where we see this in more than once in the gospel, son of David, have pity on me, is this translation. But most translations actually say, have mercy on me. This is what most of the translations say. And that literally means sorrowful at heart, misericordia means a sorrowful heart or miserable heart. This is a sorrowful heart. And misery is going to come in key here in a moment. Now, mercy is something more, though, as we think about it. We think of mercy as compassion. But we usually end there. Mercy is more than compassion. It's an actual, your heart pours out and unites with the suffering person. Um, it's a heartfelt sorrow at another person's misfortune. It's not just compassion like, gee, that's too bad, I'll pray for you. It's deeper than that. I'm going to share in your misery with you. You see that usually only amongst the closest of people. And this is why mercy is deeper than just compassion. Mercy is when compassion empathizes with the sufferer and then takes action as best it can to remove it. So what is divine mercy? Divine mercy is when God empathized with our suffering after we fell into sin and we cut off our own foot and, and God then suffered with us. He just didn't have compassion and say, it's okay, I'll let you off the hook. He empathized and suffered with us on the cross. So he joined in our suffering by the worst imaginable suffering being nailed to a cross. And so this is what mercy is. It's, it's sharing in another's misfortune and their sufferings as if it were their own. And Jesus took all of that on his shoulders. So when they said son of David, this is important. So I, I started with this have mercy on us or have pity on us. But why did they call him son of David? Okay, this is important. Son of David was not a title Jesus would have wanted. I learned this in seminary. I always thought Jesus was the one saying, call me the son of David. No, he said, I'm the son of man. Son of David, we got to be a little bit careful here because necessarily he was not yet desiring that title, not yet. <clears throat> Why? Because the son of David is probably what they thought the Messiah should be. When they called Jesus the son of David, that was that understanding that this Messiah is going to come and overthrow Rome. Well, Jesus did come to overthrow their oppressor, but it wasn't Rome. It was sin, Satan. Satan was the oppressor that Jesus had to overcome first, overthrow first, before Rome. So this is what the Jews didn't understand and why many to this day don't accept him as the Messiah. Because the Jewish understanding of a Messiah was overthrow their enemies, Rome and, and, and the Arabs and whatnot. This isn't why Jesus came. He came to overthrow the key oppressor, Satan. Now, 
the Jews waited for this great line of David leader, this, this leader from the line of David who would overthrow, as I said, Rome. Not, no idea about sin. So these blind men, by calling him the son of David, came to Jesus with really a misunderstanding of who he was an inadequate understanding or conception of who he was, yet they still found his love and power waiting for them and helping their needs. So the bottom line here is it doesn't matter how you come to Jesus, even if it's for the wrong motives, but that you come to Jesus. He will meet you where you're at. So don't wait to ask for God's help until you feel all giddy in the chapel and you're now living without sin. Then you say, and now I'm ready to come to Jesus. No, come in the midst of your brokenness and your misery. We'll talk about in a minute. So don't wait until your faith or your theology are perfect. God bless you on the live stream. I hear a lot of you saying in the comments that, Father, we're learning more about our faith now than we have in the past. And I just feel bad that I didn't come years ago to the faith. It's never too late. I mean, I had one lady, 91 years old the other day, write us. God bless you. 91 years old. And she says, I'm trying to fumble my way on an iPad. <laughs> God bless her. And so this is the beautiful thing. Don't criticize then others because they're broken and they say, well, you know, you're not living a good Catholic faith. Yes, that's true. We need to lovingly correct them. But don't criticize those whose motives we don't think are pure. We can't judge the heart. We can judge the action and what might appear to be something might make you do a second thought. For instance, we all seem to have different struggles, okay? We, we all struggle with different things. Um, things for me that are hard range from people cutting me off in traffic and almost causing accidents and, and cutting me off. And I, I remember once years ago, 25 years ago, I got cut off and this guy just almost ran me off the road and I was like, what the heck? I'm waving my hands in the window. I was in my early 20s and... I'm waving my hands in the windows. And as I'm following him, like, what are you doing? He pulled into a hospital. He could have had his wife laying in the back seat having a baby. He could have been hemorrhaging from a cut wound on his leg or something that I couldn't see. And all of a sudden it made me realize, whoa, be careful judging things that we don't necessarily know. And so somebody who may not look like they're practicing the faith may have deeper faith than we do. And so this is, I think, the message. It's not how we come to Jesus, as I said, that matters. It's that we come. God accepts us. And I always bring this up. You've heard this before. Does God love us even in the midst of our sins? Yes. But if we have somebody who's obstinately living in mortal sin, they could turn to us and say, well, Father, you just said God loves me no matter what. Yes, he does. But you'll always hear me say, but God loves you too much to let you stay that way. If we're not living a good life, at least make that effort. This is important. Notice that Jesus 
did not answer their shouting at once. You could say, well, I've prayed, and Jesus, God doesn't answer. Well, the scripture shows us right here. The blind men were crying out, son of David, and Jesus didn't even stop. They had to follow him into the house. Kind of sounds like our prayers, doesn't it? Sometimes Jesus doesn't seem to be answering. Well, Jesus didn't answer their shouts here. Sometimes he allows that so that he'll see if we persevere. How much do we really want to leave sin? How much do we really want to follow him? It's easy to get caught up in a bandwagon. And so he wanted to be sure that they were sincere in their desire for healing. Are we sincere in our desire to leave sin behind? Remember St. Augustine, Lord, make me chaste. Just not yet. I'm enjoying this sin too much. So some in their heart don't dislike their weaknesses, um, like laziness. How many of us say, well, gee, I wish I wasn't so lazy. I wish, you know, that I could get motivated better. But yet, come right around tomorrow, there they'll be on the couch eating potato chips and watching television. Because they really, do they really want to leave that? And sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. Very important. Sloth is dangerous. Laziness is dangerous. You know, a very big temptation is all this working from home now. You know, working from home is good in some sense. You know, we can stay safer thing. But to me, it crushes the social character of the human beings we were created to be. And secondly, I'm sorry, no matter what, no, no matter what people say, it is impossible not to get distracted working from home. Well, I'll just make this one phone call. I'll just watch this one half-hour TV program, and then I'll, I'll, I'll do double the work after that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so we try, and sometimes we can't avoid working from home. I'm not, please don't write me letters saying, Father Chris said I can't work from home. No, I'm not saying that. Make the best out of the situation. Just be aware, because remember, we can steal very easily and not realize we're stealing. If we're getting paid for an eight-hour day and we're working four hours, we're stealing. And so this is very important that we keep this in mind. Now, working from home does have advantages because you can shift hours. You know, like if, 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 if your job is on a computer, you couldn't take time out for prayer or something like that and then make up for it at a later time in the day. So there is some benefit. But here's the point. Some, and, and Jesus, you know, Jesus compelled these people, get this, to wait and persevere and then to meet him alone. They were outside in the crowd. All right, it says, Jesus passed by two blind men, followed him, crying out, Son of David, have mercy. Basically, they're outside with all these other people. Now, Jesus did not answer them in the streets, but waited for them to come into the house. I think this is important because sooner or later, we're going to all have to meet Jesus alone in the house. That's our judgment. We'll all have to go into his house, the kingdom of heaven, the mansion, and there will be judgment. So it's easy, you know, it's easy for us to be outside and cheer in a crowd. We go to the March for Life and we're there with 100,000 people and we're cheering, you know, pro-life. This is beautiful. But what about when we're alone? 
Hmm? After the crowd leaves, you're alone. After you leave the crowd, you're alone. Now, this is when we confront Jesus. What do we do when we're alone? You know, I once read one of the saints that said a great piece of advice. He said, think about everything that you say, think, and do when you're alone. Is that something that you would want everybody else to see you see, think, or do? Because God sees it all. And I thought that was very wise because what's happening here is Jesus is confronting these people alone now in the house. All right. Our private sin affects everybody else. Um, I just got another comment on the line yesterday. You could actually see it if you go to the yesterday's um, mass um, um, posting. And a person wrote in, I won't mention the name, but, it, but it's up there. You can see it. Father, is drinking a sin if I get drunk alone because it doesn't hurt anybody else? That's a good question. And God bless them. They put it right out there on the public comments. So the question was, is getting drunk alone a sin because it's not hurting anybody else? I'm not driving I'm in the confines of my own home. Well, remember, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? We are obligated to take care of our body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And anything that impairs our decision-making or our choices or our actions, yes, can be sinful. But remember, no sin is in private. When we sin, even in the confines of ourselves or by ourselves or in our, in our house, that sin is, is like poison put into the world. You see, sin is a disharmony to God's universe. Your sin affects me and my sin affects you because we're all part of the body of Christ. Your toe just doesn't get sick and your hand does not. When you're sick, your whole body is sick. And right now is the body of Christ the church militant, us here on earth, we're sick. We're very ill. And so every time you do an act of sin, that puts a poison into the universe. That all of us, it's like, it's like all that smog. You know, smog knows no boundaries. Okay, this is, this is the thing. Smog knows no boundaries. When smog is put into the air, it affects everybody. And it's the same with sin. When we sin, it, it affects everybody. There's no such thing as a private sin. Likewise, acts of love and charity do the same thing. That's like putting penicillin into the universe. Well, you know, can you do better than that? Into the body of Christ. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. So we can, you want to talk about a real virus? A real virus is sin. That affects the body of Christ, makes us sick. But you want to talk about a real penicillin? virtue, love, that makes the body of Christ better. And so the, the kind of the weighing of scales in this world is how much virtue and love or how much sin and vice that we're doing. And that's the condition of our body. Your body is healthy based on the choices you make. And the same with us regarding virtue or sin. So the problem is 
we are going to have to face our Lord regarding these issues. But the good news is that Jesus is merciful. All right. What matters here is that what we, you know, I, I think the bottom line here is the fact that Father Chris, you sound like a real downer today talking about sin and misery, but the answer is God's mercy, right? These guys didn't try to justify themselves as we often do. Lord, I sinned because I'm blind. I, I was just in the confessional the other day and I confessed that I didn't get all my prayers in. And I immediately caught myself following it up. I say, but, but Father, that was because I was traveling. And it's very difficult when I travel to get all my divine office, my meditation, my examines, my rosaries, adoration. And so here I'm in the confessional saying I did not get all my prayers in. And then I immediately justified it by saying, but it was because I was traveling and I was very busy and I had so much to do. These guys didn't do that. They didn't try to justify themselves. They only said, have mercy on us. And I realized after I read this passage that that's what I should have done in the confessional. Instead of trying to justify myself, I just should have said, Father, I, I've done this and Lord have mercy on me. He will never, we, I should say, will never win a blessing from God if we demand and try to justify ourselves. Well, Lord, you owe me this blessing because I only sinned because you had me traveling. <laughs> no, you know, how well we are disposed is up to us. Jesus said, there is only one thing we own. It's not our merits or our good works. There's only one thing we own. Jesus told St. Faustina, and here's where I want to finish. Because Joe's going to read this in the diary of St. Faustina here in a minute. In the diary of St. Faustina. Jesus said, there's only one thing we own, our misery. That's it. That's the only thing we can lay claim to. Now, here's what's very interesting. This is how Jesus tricks the devil. It's incredible how our Lord can even use Satan for your salvation. What? Satan's the enemy of salvation. Actually, in the most unique and ironic way, God can use Satan to save you. Father, how's that possible? One of the most amazing things I've ever learned about God's mercy is this. And I don't talk about this enough. This, I think this is the first time I've ever even mentioned this. The very fact that the devil will call out and want you to be miserable, like at Cana, when the jars were empty, Mary saw the empty jars and she quietly went to Jesus to fill them. I just did a recording for EWTN on Cana. You'll see that on our EWTN show in a couple weeks. And Mary called out quietly to Jesus. They have a lack of wine. In their misery of this lack, please help them. Likewise, if that was Satan, Satan would say, look, you're miserable. You're empty like those jars. You got nothing in you. And here's the ironic thing. Jesus actually says that's a good thing. Because only when we realize that we are empty and miserable can Jesus fill us 
with the wine of the Holy Spirit. That's what Cana is all about. And so here Satan wants to scream at you and say, you're miserable, you're empty, you got nothing in you, you got no good. And Jesus is basically telling St. Faustina, that's exactly what I want you to realize. I want you to realize that you are empty, that you are miserable without me. Because only when you realize that emptiness and don't fill yourself with a bunch of junk of the world can I fill you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. That is amazing. So Satan, this is people ask, why does God let Satan do what he does? Because Satan can actually aid unknowingly in your salvation, not meaning, oh, please don't write me letters and saying, Father Chris said, turn to Satan for salvation. Please don't do that. But we empty ourselves because we realize we're miserable. We got nothing. We got nothing. You know, I, I, I sometimes bring up sports analogies. My junior year in football, we didn't have a good team. And there was a team called Grosseal who had a really good running back. And they had never beaten Monroe Catholic Central, my high school, in years. And this game, they were stomping us. And the running back, I remember he made a long gain and he, he came right up out of bounds by our sideline. And he got up and he looked at our whole team and he says, you ain't got nothing. He says, none of you, you ain't got nothing. And I tell you, we looked at each other on that sideline and we said, that's right. Now we got to fill ourselves with determination, with desire. And the next year we went undefeated because we filled ourselves. And so when Satan comes and says, you're miserable, you ain't got nothing, you're empty, you're no good. Jesus says, I can use that. Let Satan tell you you're miserable because what's the answer to misery? Mercy. That's the answer. This is how Jesus tricks the devil. He calls out our misery, but with misery comes mercy. So when you recognize your emptiness and your misery, Jesus will come and fill you with his mercy, the grace of the wine of the Holy Spirit. So masterfully, Jesus uses the devil to be able to help us. That's an incredible concept, if you ask me. And that's the most beautiful thing about Divine mercy. It's ironic. Seraphim, Father Seraphim used to teach divine mercy. He's loving the unlovable and forgiving the unforgivable. That's exactly what God is doing. When we realize our misery, then God can fill us. That's the beauty. I think that is one of the most amazing concepts about divine mercy. Jesus said, we're the greater, the more miserable the sinner, the greater right he has to my mercy. This is the gift that we are given. And this passage does a beautiful way of bringing that out, does it not? Sorry again for the long homily, but to me, this is incredible. And this is what we need to do when we recognize, yes, I'm broken, Lord, but instead of getting discouraged, you say, Lord, if I ain't got nothing like that football player told us on the sidelines, then I got a lot of room to be filled with a lot of good stuff.
Don't fill it with the junk of the world. Fill it with the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did with the empty jars at Cana. He filled them with the wine of the Holy Spirit. You now, your emptiness, your misery, you ain't got nothing. You, Jesus said you don't own anything. The only thing you own is your misery, your emptiness. But that's exactly what he wants you to have so he can fill it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.